You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 Brand Spark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. Week 31 of the Aggressive Progressive with Chris Hahn. Still growing. Still having fun. Still so much to talk about. I've got a great show today. I got Ellie Mistal. You've seen him on MSNBC and other places. He's an editor and writer at The uh, the Nation. And of course, his Above the Law blog. Um, great guy. Grew up on Long Island. I knew his dad. We get into that a little bit um, in the uh, interview. You're going to enjoy it. But this is the week where impeachment goes public, and I'm sure we're going to have a lot to talk about in the weeks and months ahead, so let's start the show and get to it. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. You and I as citizens have the obligation to shape the debates of our time not only with the votes we cast, but with the voices we lift. The people are looking for honest answers, not easy answers. The very word secrecy is repugnant. Clear leadership. And we are as a people. Not false claims and evasiveness and politics as usual. Opposed to secret society. But ours was a nation of the ballot, not the bullet. And a secret procedure. As a people, we cannot afford to let any group of citizens or any individual citizens live or labor under conditions which are injurious to the commonwealth. Black, white, Latino, Asian, Native American, young, old, gay, straight, men, women, folks with disabilities, all pledging allegiance under the same proud flag to this big, bold country that we love. That's what I see. That's the America I know. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. There is nothing wrong with America that cannot be cured by what is right with America. All right. So, America, we are about to start the Ready for TV impeachment trial, not trial, hearings. Democrats will be calling their witnesses this week. First witness will be Bill Taylor, who I thought might be the closer. I guess maybe they're saving Vinman for the closer because he's going to show up in his military uniform and be very hard to impeach, even though Taylor himself is a West Point grad and served his country faithfully for 50 years. But, you know, I mean, that to some of these wingnuts is, um, well, he's a deep stater. He's a deep stater. He served his country for 50 years. Well, he must be in the deep state. I mean, you know, you know, forget the fact that he's a West Point grad, um, served in Vietnam, has served multiple presidents of either party when asked why he went back into government by the way asked to go back into government by the trump administration by mike pompeo himself this man was retired trump asked him to serve through pompeo so they picked this guy he said he spoke with his mentor who is a well-known republican we don't know who that is i kind of want to know who that is too and then decided that his country's asking him to serve, so he's going to serve, which is, you know, what honorable people do. So they'll try to um, destroy his character, even though he was taking copious notes, knew what was going on. No, he was not on the call. But I think that's uh, not as relevant as you think, given all the other things he corroborates, like what happened on that call. We're also going to hear from Maria Yovanovitch, the former ambassador to Ukraine, 
it's going to be an interesting week. So um, stay tuned. Get some popcorn. This all starts on Wednesday. Um, I'm I'm. I mean, I got to clear my calendar. I mean, this is this is going to be crazy. The thing that I want you all to pay very close attention to, and I know I alluded this to to this last week on the pod. These are serious people coming to testify before Congress. They are serious people who take their job serious, who take their commitment to their country seriously, who have prepared for these jobs, who come in to testify prepared, well uh, read on the issues, are clear in what they are trying to say, and the Republicans, because they lack seriousness, have put a guy named Jim Jordan, former wrestling coach, on the Intel Committee to question these serious people. Now, if you know anything about Jim Jordan, he's the guy who likes to wear his shirt sleeves. No, no jacket for Jim Jordan. White shirt, no jacket. That's his. That's his look. That's his. That's his brand. By the way, members of Congress who have a brand, you should automatically take less serious, right? If they need to have a brand, particularly a brand that shows lack of respect for the job they have, like not even wearing a jacket. Not that I think jackets are important. I mean, I wear them. But the guy's got a brand. He's branding himself by doing this. So they put him on the committee because he's really good at messing up committees, right? We see it on the Judiciary Committee. He's just a big disruptor. And I think that's the whole point, right? We've got these serious people coming in. Taylor, Vinman, Yovanovitch, others. These are all serious people, and the Republicans know how damaging their testimony is. So they are going to do everything they can to distract from that testimony by not being serious, by making this into show business. And, you know, I mean, if you're going on Fox News or you're going on, um, you know, MSNBC or CNN or some other interview show and you want to do your clown show there, by all means, have at it. But when you are in the chamber and you are on the committee that is investigating the seriousness of this president, of the crimes this president may have committed, take your job seriously. Respect the seriousness of the people who are there before you, the military service alone. But the 50 plus years service to this country that Taylor brings And you're going to have this guy doing a clown show. And by the way, this is a guy who can't be trusted for anything, right? This is a guy who was told that a member of his coaching staff, when he was the assistant coach of the men's wrestling team at Ohio State, he was told that people were being sexually assaulted by one of the trainers. And he did nothing. And I think before you would elevate this guy to a committee, you might want to get to the bottom of that, Kevin McCarthy. Now, I know Trump loves this guy. He's Trump's kind of guy, loud and obnoxious. But I think it's going to be more of the same, more of the lack of seriousness. And I think when I think about these people and how serious they are and how much they've done for this country, and I think about this president and how, how he lacks seriousness. But, you know, forget about these guys for a minute. There are men and women across this nation and, and, and serving this country around the world who put their lives on the line for the ideals of the United States of America. And I think that those people deserve the respect that they are not getting from this president and from Republicans in the Congress right now, that they are, they are taken seriously. You know, I mean, uh, Monday was Veterans Day where we celebrate our veterans across this country. And I think about the men and women who have died for this country and died for this cause, even people who have died in the last couple of years. And I ask myself, is the president of the United States honoring these people through his work in the office? And I think not. I think this president takes his job so flippantly with such a lack of seriousness to it that it is just disrespectful to people who wear the uniform, people who serve this country, whether they are in or out of uniform, people who have dedicated their lives to the ideals of the United States of America and our Constitution. He just tramples on it. And there are too many people in this country that just don't care. They don't care that this president is just flippant. I mean, I don't even know what else to say. I mean, completely, I I, I mean, 
he has a lack of respect for everyone who serves but him and his you know daughter his son-in-law the only people that matter are people who pledge allegiance to to Trump who bend a knee to Trump and that lack of seriousness is going to be on display this week when Republicans on behalf of their boss try to make a mockery of the impeachment hearings, even though we're bringing serious people who raise serious concerns about this president that were not addressed through proper channels. So it's it's something to watch for. It is absolutely something to watch for. And it's something to be concerned about if you love this country, if you believe in the people who serve this country, which I do. And, you know, you know, sitting through some Veteran Day activities and, uh, you know, you're, you're listening to this on Tuesday. Later tonight, I'll be emceeing the Building Homes for Heroes Gala, at least part of it, uh, with my friend Liz Clayman from Fox Business. Um, you know, a lot of veterans there who have lost limbs, lost their sight, came back from war seriously wounded. And I just think about the sacrifice they made. And then I think about this president just disrespecting the Constitution, disrespecting his oath, disrespecting this country and its traditions by using the power of his office for his own political gains, by demanding a foreign government do research, basically, oppo research, or create a scandal concerning his political opponent. I, I, I for one, am disgusted by it. And I, I cannot wait to listen to these testimonies live. And we've read the transcripts now. And the transcripts themselves seem pretty damning. But when you hear them and when you see these speeches being being made, it's going to be interesting. And, and I like the format, 45 minutes for the, leader, for the uh, chairman and ranking member. And then you go for the rounds of questionings. Members of Congress, we don't need opening statements from you. Republicans want to give it. That's fine because they're idiots anyway. And I really don't care what they say. But Democrats... Uh, if you really want to get to the truth, just ask questions and have a plan. I hope you all sit down and say, this is what I want to get out of this questioning. This is what I want to get out of this question. In fact, I encourage you all to yield to the professional staff. Let the professional staff ask the questions more than the members. I think you get to the truth. There's less passion. There's less showmanship. And let, let's face it. I, I know I've said that Jim Jordan's going to be the master showman there. Uh, the Democrats have their own showman on that committee. We got to make sure we take this very seriously because this is a very serious thing. There are very serious accusations here. And what you're trying to do is remove a president undoing an election. The American people need to understand that the people who are doing this are doing this solemnly and seriously. So if you've got an opening statement that is anything but solemn and serious, consider scrapping it. And letting uh, the counsel for the committee ask your questions. I hope we're all on the same page on that. All right, before I get to Ellie Mistal, who is uh, a great guest, I can't wait to have Ellie on. Um, Ellie Mistal, uh, you see him on MSNBC. He's at Ellie NYC on Twitter. Um, you know, he he writes for the Nation. He he's got his uh, above the law uh, blog. You got to uh, listen to Ellie. Follow Ellie. Um, I actually met Ellie a long time ago when I worked for Senator Schumer. He was working on um, Tom DiNapoli's campaign for county executive uh, in Nassau County. And he was going to Harvard Law at the time. Uh, but I knew his dad. Um, his, his, his dad is also named Ellie Mistal, um, who had died uh, years ago. His dad, actually, my wife reminded me of this the other day. His dad was at my wedding. Uh, my wife had worked for his dad's second wife or third wife. I'm not sure um, what Maxine was to him. Maxine Postal was the presiding officer of the Suffolk County Legislature. So it's a long story, but he was at my wedding, um, his dad. And it was really interesting talking to Ellie. So I've got Ellie coming up. You want to stick around for this interview. It's it's very good. But before I get to that, let me uh, just do a uh, 2020 Democratic primary update. Mike Bloomberg got into the race this week. And, um, you know, there's been the, uh, I, I guess, the typical reaction for people who've already dug in on a candidate and said, um, you know, why is he getting in so late? Uh, 
So there's two points I want to make. First, I want to make the point about him getting in late. I've been looking at polls and um, particularly the state polls, because you really can't judge on the national polls in these primaries. But uh, Undecided is leading in Iowa. Undecided is near the top in New Hampshire, and it's definitely leading in South Carolina. I don't know where it is in, New- in Nevada. I haven't seen it. Uh, so that says to me that there's definitely room for another candidate to get into the race. Now, I get it undecided. People are out there. They're working hard. They're meeting people. It'd be very hard to catch up at this point. But, you know, Mike Bloomberg is worth $52 billion, which last time I checked is anywhere between five and 15 times more than the president who, who retur- referred to him as Little Michael over the weekend. And I'm sorry, Mr. President, um, if we're comparing bank books, you're the little one. I mean, I don't know how much he's stolen since he's been president. I mean, there, his, his value probably went up. But uh, last time I checked, Trump's worth anywhere between $3 billion and $10 billion, and Bloomberg's worth $55 billion. He could buy and sell you, Mr. President. It would be amazing watching the right twist themselves into a pretzel, trying to call this guy a socialist, who he is, you know, he's better at capitalism then I don't know, all but five people on the planet, 10 people on the planet, call him a socialist, will you? Call the guy who um, every uh, Wall Street trader has a Bloomberg box on their desktop. You know, call him that. See how that works out for you. That would be hard. It would be, I mean, that look, doesn't mean they wouldn't try. They'll say he got taken over by AOC. <laughs> you know, the freshman congresswoman. <laughs> it's they they will do whatever it takes to twist themselves in the pretzel to do that and it would be it would be awesome to try to watch it um i i would love it the other point i want to make is that uh, ever since he's announced there's been this talk that he's going to skip the early primary states and just jump in on super tuesday and i know that there are some bloomberg staffers who listen to my podcast cuz they used to work with me at schumer And let me explain to you what I have been explaining to you on national television, and I hope you're getting the message. You can't do that. Even if you can't win uh, Iowa and New Hampshire, you got to compete. Now, I get it. You're probably going to be hard to win at this point. It's not impossible, though. Rudy Giuliani tried this, and Rudy Giuliani was way ahead in the national polls, but knew he couldn't win Iowa and New Hampshire because he was a former mayor of New York City just like Michael Bloomberg was. And uh, it's very difficult for a former mayor of New York City to break through in these smaller states because they have an anti-New York bias, even on the left. I get it. It's hard. And maybe you come in third. Maybe you come in fourth in Iowa. But you got to compete because let's face it, um, Super Tuesday is not too far from from, uh, the Iowa caucuses. But, you know, a lot of the states start early voting on the same day. California starts early voting the same day as the Iowa caucuses. So a win or a loss or a failure to compete in the Iowa caucuses is going to have huge impact on your ability to get early votes in California. Huge impact. I mean, it might kill you uh, in California if you don't compete in Iowa and New Hampshire. So if I'm part of the Bloomberg team, I am absolutely reconsidering whether or not I don't get in to Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina. I I think you got to get there because what's going to happen is you'll have somebody like Mayor Pete win uh, Iowa. And, and, you know, I say this and people say, are you a Mayor Pete guy? I'm not endorsing any candidate. I'm not endorsing Mike Bloomberg. I'm not endorsing Mayor Pete or Bernie or or Elizabeth Warren. And I do think some of those people are going to start coming on the show. I'm going to have a very big announcement about my radio show. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, I, I, I know the news. I just don't know if I'm allowed to say it yet, but let's just say we are expanding. And, uh, some of you who listen to the podcast, uh, will get to listen to me on the radio as well. So, uh, that'll be great. And then you could tell your friends about the podcast because the podcast is different than the radio show. Um, so, you know, we'll have some, some more to talk about, but I will have some of these guys on the show men and women on the show. I, I hope to get them all. Uh, on the show and on the podcast over the next couple of weeks and months. But I I don't think it's a wise strategy to get in late. 
I think, uh, I mean, to skip the primary, I don't mind getting in late. I, I think there's room for other people to get in if they want to get in. I, and that doesn't mean I don't like the candidates that are there now. I want to make that very clear. I just think that, you know, what is this time, you know, stamp on things? Oh, you can't get in or something. No, that, you know, you go back not even 15 years, six, you know, you go back like three elections. People were getting in later than this. So I don't want to hear that this is just too late. That's nonsense. I also don't think that comparing Michael Bloomberg to Tom Steyer or even Donald Trump is not fair. Michael Bloomberg was mayor of New York City. And I will say, as somebody who spends a lot of time in New York City, Michael Bloomberg did a very good job as mayor of New York City. Now, there might be things that you don't like about Mike, Mike Bloomberg's policy. I, for one, had a real problem with stop and frisk. And we could debate that. But there are a lot of good things that happened when he was mayor of New York City and a lot of good things that have happened since then. Nobody has been putting more resources to the anti-gun movement or the, or the environmental movement than Michael Bloomberg. He's been very active. He's also been active in helping flip legislators. Like He helped flip Virginia from red to blue. I mean, there's no doubting that. There's no arguing about that. Michael Bloomberg is not coming late to politics like Donald Trump. You know, Donald Trump used to talk about politics for years, right? But he never really was engaged in politics. He would give money to candidates, but that was it. Tom Steyer, I guess the last three years have been do- has been doing something in politics, but he's never run a city. I mean, the, the city of New York, look, Mayor of the city of New York, that's the second hardest job in the country next to president. I'm sorry. It is a difficult job. The city of New York has almost 20 million people living in it, in the, in the, in the metropolitan area. It's bigger than most states. Think about this. Mayor Pete, who we all love, we all like Mayor Pete. Mayor Pete is the mayor of a city that has about 150,000 people in it. There are streets in New York City that have more than 150, probably buildings in New York City that have almost 150,000 people in it. This is a this is a, a non-starter. The mayor of the city of New York is absolutely somebody who would be qualified to be president of the United States. And I hear some pundits on TV saying, oh, what's his qualification? What's his qualifications? This is not just another billionaire throwing his hat in the ring. This is a guy who's actually served, who has a resume of accomplishment in and out of government. And unlike Donald Trump, who got a small $450 million loan from his dad, Mike Bloomberg pulled himself up. He didn't get money from his dad. So, you know, I know this sounds like an endorsement of Mike Bloomberg. It's not. It's an endorsement of bringing people into the race and let's having an honest conversation about it. And I know that a lot of my progressive followers say, hey, come on, man, he's a billionaire. What are we doing? I get it. I get it. Let's hear him out. Let's hear what his plan is to get income to end income inequality in this country. That's the first question for a billionaire candidate. How are you going to address this given you have acquired so much wealth in your lifetime and continue to do so? But it would be interesting to watch this guy go up against Donald Trump just because, you know, he really did make all of his money himself. He really is a true success story. It will be impossible for them to use their, you know, he's a socialist banner against him. I don't know. Could be interesting. I'm glad he's not running as a third party candidate with all that money he has. So let's hear him out. I mean, look, he might not even get in, but to see these pundits on TV, all of whom have picked a side. See, this is the thing. I keep getting asked, who do I like? I like them all. I like things about everybody running. Every single one of them has something that they have said that I enjoy, that I like. I am reserving judgment until the voters you know, pick it. I really look, my number one, my number one requirement of these candidates is that they be electable and beat Donald Trump. And I don't know what elect, I'm not going to try to pretend that I know what electability is. I didn't think Donald Trump was electable. And how wrong was I and everybody else about that? So let's let this race play itself out. When it's your turn to vote, make your decision, make it wisely. Make it on things that are important to you. Okay, I think, I for one think that electability is the number one thing. I'm all for them having plans on healthcare, but I think that we're not going to get much more done than a public option uh, for Medicare or for Obamacare or maybe Medicare for all who want it, as Mayor Pete calls it, or now, oh, Joe Biden calls it, or I don't know who called it that first. I don't know. And I don't care who the presidential nominee is when they become president. That's what they're going to get because that's what they can get. 
can actually get that done. So let's give them all a chance. Let's hear them all out. And let's see what they have to offer. All right. I got Ellie Mistal coming up on the other side of this break. Stick where you're at. You are listening to The Aggressive Progressive. I am Chris Hahn, and I'll be right back. Hey, America, Christopher Hahn here, the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. What is with the president and the right-wing echo chamber encouraging these astroturf protests against stay-at-home orders around the country? It's ridiculous, and it needs to stop. Check out the Aggressive Progressive Podcast wherever you download podcasts. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, COVID continues to reshape the law. Supreme Court arguments will be held by teleconference. The justices won't even know if the lawyers are wearing pants, which is fair given the eternal mystery of what's under those black robes. Los Angeles County is springing 25% of its inmates. The sheriff suggests folks get ready for what might be a spike in crime. Check it all out on the next episode of Too Many Lawyers. Joining me right now is somebody who I've been trying to get on this show for a long time. I actually knew him once upon a time. Or I say not knew him. I, I met him once upon a time. Ellie Mistal, you see him on MSNBC all the time. He is the executive editor of Above the Law. You can find that at AboveTheLaw.com. And he's a contributor at The Nation. I'm really psyched I ran into you in Tennessee. And uh, I'm even more psyched that I didn't do a podcast interview with you there so I could get you on my show now. How you doing? <laughs> Nice to see you, Chris. Uh, knew me when I was very, very small. I, I knew you when hair. I knew you when you didn't have the big hair that you now have on TV. Which, by the way, I feel like that grew overnight for you. Well, you know, I'll, I'll, okay. So, for your listeners, I will bring you in on the inside. So, Chris, you know me from from back in the day. Um, um, had all kind of respectability black hair um, for almost all my life. You right. know, my father. He he would not have gone for my current hair. No, he would not. <laughs> <laughs> um, not in public, at least. Um, but so I'm, I, I usually grow it out a little bit over the winter. So I'm in the the makeup room um, for a hit before MSNBC, and I'm, I'm the the makeup ladies are like, "Oh, your hair is so nice." Blah blah blah. I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, 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 yeah." <laughs> I'll cut it this weekend. It's going down. And the makeup lady was just like, "Why would you cut your hair? It <laughs> looks so cool on television." I'm like, "Really?" And the makeup lady says, "Don't you like being on TV?" I mean, it's a good look. And by the way, as a bald man, I am very, very upset how you show off with that hair day in and day out on MSNBC. Especially, how I feel like, I, look, Ellie, I remember when I first saw you on TV, and I said, that's Ellie Mistal's son. I met him when he was on the Tom DiNapoli for county executive campaign, like in 2001. And, I'll, and, and my wife was like, what? And you didn't have the big hair yet. You had the very tight hair. Yep. And that was probably only two years ago, right? Yeah, so the the makeup lady told me to keep it, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky that I still have... I've always been kind of embarrassed, because I, I went gray pretty early. Um, so I've always been embarrassed about the gray, but... Uh, I'll guess, trade you, man. I'll trade you gray. Putting pro form has, has, has worked out, so now it's my brand, I guess. So it's funny. I was saying this to myself the other day. I was saying to my wife the other day, uh, and to myself... Um, I kind of like being bald because when I had hair, I never knew what to do with it anyway. So now it's kind of like, eh, I just got, you know, I, I buzz it down once a week and that's it. <laughs> that's literally it. I don't ever have to think about it. I don't even have to think about it when I buzz it down. And if I don't have time to buzz it down, I pop into some barbershop and I just, I don't have to wait for a specific person. I go to whoever's next. <laughs> you know, it's, now, for the first time in my life, I have to budget time in the morning to pick my hair out. Oh, it's, it's crazy. Oh, you have to pick it. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's, that's horrible. That's, yeah, well, that, you know, as my wife likes to say, shut the up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, look, I don't want to hear you complaining about you have to deal with your hair. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, Ellie, uh, you know, lots going on that a good legal mind like yourself uh, is, uh, is, is very valuable to have on the show tonight. Uh, we're looking at these transcripts that are being dripped out. And I, I really I, I, I'm going to touch on this a little bit later on, but. I like the fact that while they're on break, they're at least doing these transcripts and having these hearings come out every single day so that they're not just letting the president dominate the news cycle while they're gone. I had been advocating for them not to go on any more recesses until impeachment was over. So so what are you making of what you're seeing? 
I mean, one of the interesting, just to pick up on that point, Chris, one of the interesting things that they've, the Democrats have managed to do is to not fumble the ball as they have pretty much since 2015 and allow Donald Trump to dominate the news cycle, yeah. right? This is the first story that Trump hasn't been able to push um, the media off of with a crazy tweet or some more racism or, you know, whatever. Um, the media has been consistently on the story and the Democrats have keep, keep feeding them stuff to stay on the story. So I think for the first time, literally, since this idiot came down the, the, the escalator, <laughs> yeah. this is the first time the Democrats are kind of staying on message. Um, in terms of the substance of, of the transcripts, I mean, I've tried to wade through some of them. The Bill Taylor one was 337 pages. And, you know, I made a good faith effort. I got through 100. But, you know, that's pretty good. That's more than yeah. me. I got through about 50. Right, and then I have life, though, right? Like right. I, have, <laughs> I have other things to do. So I don't know that any of the substance from the transcripts is really uh, sticking. What will stick, I think, is when we get to the public testimony yeah. um, um, part of the... Are case. you surprised that they announced him early? I thought he'd be the cleanup hitter. <laughs> no, I think they want to. I think they want to put him first because remember, Chris. Like, and, and this is sometimes. I think if you aren't following the news every day or reading the transcripts or doing all this kind of stuff, it might be kind of easy to miss this point. Right. Trump did it, and Bill Taylor's the one who saw it all. Yeah. Right? Like that. Like it is such a simple story, and yeah. Bill Taylor saw all bits of that story. So I think it's right to kind of lead off. This is you're talking about cleanup hitter, kind of in the in the old 1980s kinds of ways. This is like a sabermetric yeah. uh, leadoff hitter. You want a George Springer type that has you know power and speed at the top. Yeah. Um, what you got here with Taylor is that he's going to lay out the entire scheme, right? Because that's the whole thing. It's not just the phone call. It's not just you know the 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 transcript. It is. It is a scheme, a plot on the Donald on Donald Trump's behalf to extort a bribe from the Ukraine in exchange for an investigation into his political rivals. So I think it's kind of a, a correct to start off with that, and then after that has been developed, now you remember we're still playing the game where we're trying to get you know we're trying to see if John Bolton's going to testify. Yeah. We're trying to see if all these other so you know there, there's always some time for some power later in the lineup. Mick Mulvaney has been subpoenaed uh, now right. recently to come forward. He probably. We won't, but you know all of these things. I, I would, I would, I would imagine that putting Taylor first puts pressure on some of these other people to come and testify and defend Donald Trump if there is a defense they want to make. I'm wondering, you know, John uh, Taylor said that he went back into government service not only because he got asked, but he ran it by a high-ranking Republican official who is his mentor. I wonder who that person is. That is a uh, that is a question that I want answered. I know that's kind of like I, I'm wondering if it's like. Wouldn't it be funny if it was Lindsey Graham? <laughs> it's, like, it's probably one of these Republicans who who considers himself an adult in the room, right? That doesn't actually do anything to stop the child president. Um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm I'm very disappointed in general with the institutional control of the Republican Party yeah. that we have seen throughout the Trump administration. But I imagine it's one of those types who thinks they're doing such a great job keeping the country on the rails and is actually kind of secretly, you know, maybe indirectly or or or, or not on purpose, but is ultimately enabling this crazy president yeah. to continue to, to to maintain himself in office. Did you uh, did you read the Maria Yevanovich uh, uh, transcript at all? I, w- I only read the reports. I did not go into that transcript. So I only read the reports from it that. It seems to me that it's chilling that this woman literally feared for her life. Like we are in some John Grisham world where the president of the United States and his cronies might actually kill her to get her out of the way. And that the State Department said get on a plane because they feared for her security. One of the things that, and I, and I was talking about this on uh, Brian Lair earlier this week, like one, one, of, one of the issues I think you see with that report is this constant feature of Donald Trump, where he seems to always reserve an extra gear of nastiness and bullying for women in power, right? Yeah. He seems always willing to go there when it's a woman right. that he perceives to be standing in his way. So he'll, he'll tweet out mean crap about anybody, right? He'll, he'll, he'll insult anybody um, uh, that he gets his hands on, right? But if it's a woman, there's a particular level of 
nastiness um, that seems to come that seems to come out. I mean, this is also backed up by a lot of what Michael Cohen would say about Trump. I mean, Michael Cohen was deployed in he has testified to now deployed in many ways yeah. to intimidate women um you know he was th- that was kind of his one of his his roles within the yeah his within, job was to make sure all the women that this president was harassing and sleeping kept with quiet, kept right? quiet yeah and so I, I I link I link up the Yovanovitch uh, uh, testimony um, with I mean a lot of people uh, so uh, as usual with Trump you know so many bad things are going on that not everything not everything that deserves coverage gets coverage yeah. but a lot of people missed this week that um, uh, Gene Carroll um, uh, the reporter who accused Trump of actual rape um, has filed now a defamation suit against Donald Trump yep. um, based on his denials of that sexual assault. Um, that's, so that's like another thing. That's another thing that's out there just in terms of Trump's legal jeopardy. But also, it really kind of. Uh, goes to my point about how when it comes to women in particular he seems particularly nasty yeah it is it is a, it is shocking how nasty by the way i'm talking to ellie mistel at ellie nyc on twitter if you want to follow him and of course his uh his uh very well respected website above the law.com he's also a contributor at the nation you see him on msnbc and he grew up on Long Island, where my flagship station is, uh, LI News Radio 103.9 FM. Uh, he's a guy from Huntington and Amityville. Uh, Suffolk County, in the house. And now, what do you, what do you live in? Are you live in Westchester now? Yeah, I couldn't make the sell to my wife on uh, on Long Island when it came time for us to move out of the city. It's Metro North, man, versus yeah. the LIRR. At the I end just, of the day, that's it, right? Couldn't beat it. I, yeah. <laughs> I know. I mean, I, I, I am a Long Islander, true and true, and I will never leave here, but I... Man, whenever I'm driving on that expressway, <laughs> I, I also you know yeah, Long Islanders will understand this. Like I, I have South Shore money, not North Shore money. So. <laughs> oh, oh! I had center of the island money, so oh, I, which meant I had no money. I literally grew up in Center Reach, which is named aptly for the place where you have the least money on Long Island. <laughs> was, exactly. Now I live right. on the North Shore, but <laughs> you know. like if I if I was showing my wife around, you know, Glen Cove, I, I might have been able to even Oyster Bay. I might have been able to make it happen. Right, right, right. You know? Well, you'll get this, Ellie, you know, because you grew up. Dick tells, and I'm like, what am I going to do? You'll get this, Ellie, because you grew up here. I, I, I grew up in Center Reach, and I used to always say I have a nine-mile plan. I just want to live nine miles from where I live now, and now I've made it. I actually live 8.75 miles from where I grew up. I'm about 50 feet from the water, but it's, oh, it's close great. enough. You know, global warming will take my neighbor's house first, but I, can still, I still have a beach lot that I get to access. You can measure your professional success in those nine miles. That's literally it, man. It's nine miles, and I'm stopping. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, so, so let's – look, a lot's going on. Uh, the last couple of days, and I'm really, I know you follow all this stuff. Um, I mean, I don't even know if we have time to talk about Roger Stone and everything that's going on with him, but uh, what's your take? Look, before we get to that, give me your hot take on last night and Kentucky. And, you know, I'm of the belief that if I'm a Republican waking up today, my calculus about how closely I hug Donald Trump has changed. So I think two important things happened last night, and, and the first thing I'll say is the hot one, because it's against the grain of what most of the pundits are pundits are saying. For so long, Democrats have been warned, don't go too far left, don't go too far left, you'll kill people down ballot. Right. And I think with a moderate Democrat winning in Kentucky, I think the lesson is, is that you can have somebody pretty lefty at the top of your ticket, at the top of your national ticket, and it's not going to kill down-ballot, more conservative Democrats Democratic races, as long as you let those, as long as you really are the big tent party and you let those Democrats exist as well, right? So like, you know, I'm, I'm of the opinion that you, that as, I mean, I'm pretty lefty, right? I'm pretty progressive, but I'm of the opinion that you don't say, you, you, you don't, you don't slag off you know, the, the Bashirs of the world, the governor, the guy who won in Kentucky. Right, right. You don't slag off Amy McGrath, who was running against Mitch McConnell in the same state, and, you know, is very much to the right of where I am. But, but these candidates can win in these relatively red or relatively conservative districts if you just let them run. And that has nothing to do with what's happening at the top of the ticket. So I think that's one big takeaway. I don't think, I'm not afraid of a Warren or a Sanders um, 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 scuttling our chances of, of having a true 50 state strategy in terms of the Democratic Party. So that's number one. Number two, make no mistake that 
the most important thing in 2020 is taking back the U.S. Senate. Yeah. I know Trump is terrible, and we all want to get rid of Trump, and blah, 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 blah. First of all, if you're taking back the Senate, you are most likely beating Trump anyway. Yep. But if you beat Trump and you don't take back the Senate, then all you're going to have is the Mitch McConnell plan that he worked so effectively in Obama's second term yep. of frustrating everything that comes forward, not allowing any Supreme Court justices or any other justices to uh, the judgeships to be filled, um, and having basically one-party minority rule. Yeah. You have to take back the Senate. And so focusing on these, on, these, on these races in the swing states, not just in terms of the presidential election, but like pumping up... MJ Hagar, who is running against John Cornyn in Texas, pumping up Jamie Harrison, who's running against Lindsey Graham in South Carolina, yeah. pumping up Sarah Gideon, who is running against Susan Collins in Maine. Like these are the races that we have to win. Yeah. And I would I would appreciate it if at le- if at some point in one of these highly publicized, highly watched Democratic debates, one of these Democrats can say their names yeah. and remind people that taking back the Senate is crucial to any of their plans, yeah. any of their any of the presidential plans actually succeeding. Well, you know, I'm a creature of the Senate. I used to work in it for Chuck Schumer and uh, you get no, you get no argument for me. I, I've, I've actually gone on national television and said that we need to change the Senate because I think it's the most undemocratic, ridiculous thing we have. Uh, and people are like, what? You so, work there. I, I, go, I don't want to put you on the spot, but can I ask you, are you, are you on the uh, uh, nuke the filibuster team or? Uh, you know, yes, I am. I'm I'm on the nuke the Senate team. I, I literally want the Senate to change. I think that I, I don't like the fact that California and Idaho have the same representatives in the United States Senate anymore. It, this is this is nonsense. We're being, you know, the, the you know, 14 senators represent more more than the rest of the Senate. So yep. it, this is this is nonsense at this point. We have to, you know, we have to have a, a system of government where the people actually rule, not territory. You know, we're, this is not we're not it's not 1789 anymore. Things have changed. <laughs> and if we don't want to stay together as a country, maybe we should have that conversation. But we can't just be giving Wyoming more power than New York. It's nonsense. I'm totally with you there. I'm on Nuke the Filibuster, and for TV purposes, we just leave it at Nuke the Filibuster. But when I had a little bit more time to kind of expand my thoughts. You have, you have three minutes to expand your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I actually have a more subtle, I, I support a more subtle plan, which is nuking the procedural filibuster, but restoring or saving the talking filibuster. Oh, yeah. If you're willing to sit there and talk for 17 days, go ahead. Knock yourself out. I mean, right. so many people remember Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Yes. Right? If you want to do that, because that's the other thing about the talking filibuster that I kind of like. If you have something that is so important to you that you want to stop all Senate business so you can explain to the American people why this is so important and why we shouldn't go forward, even though a majority of the Senate disagrees with you, by all means, put the camera on you, you go talk. You go talk for as long as you can stand up and try to convince people that you are right. Like, that has, to me... Yeah. Value. So you are like me, you know, let me get geek out a little. You're you're for removing the cloture vote, exactly. right? You could still have a filibuster. If you seize the floor, you could keep the floor. Exactly. But there's no more cloture vote, which is just a, you know, it's a nonsense thing at this point and and I we are just so undemocratic as a country. That's just one more thing that makes us less democratic. And I get that the Republicans abused this uh, with the judicial nominees, but it's it doesn't. Elections have consequences, and and people are going to vote these Republican senators in. They're going to say, "Let me take a t- chance on Donald Trump," and, and you're going to get what you get. And this is what we're getting. I, I'm totally with you. So yeah. Let's do it then. Let's do it then. All right, quick. And I would just say that there are only a few candidates that seem to be thinking about this in those terms. And it's something that continually frustrates me as I watch the debates and I watch the Democrats talk. Like so many of them are talking as if Mitch McConnell doesn't exist. Yeah. And it's like having, you know, Joe Biden today, again, I guess last night at a fundraiser, said this whole thing about like, oh, well, once Trump is gone, Republican colleagues will come to an epiphany yeah. and we'll be able to work across the aisle again. No. Have, have you been awake for the yeah, last? That's who do you? Like, who, what are you talking about, Joe? Who do you like? And you don't have to endorse anybody. I mean, we have about a minute left. Who do you like in this primary field? 
Uh, yeah. So I'm not going to endorse anybody. I'm still, you know, making my... I have all the bumper stickers still, right? <laughs> I tend to like the more progressive, so I, I like Warren and Sanders. I especially like Warren's plans. I went to Harvard Law School. She was a Harvard Law School professor. Call me elitism. <laughs> Go ahead. I will. I you will grew eat, up in Amityville. You are not an elitist. Stop. But I will, I will eat the charge because I do like the subtlety of how she changes really small legal things that would have, like, a huge impact yeah. on, on how we live. You yeah. Know? So, so I like Warren for those things. I like uh, Booker and Castro because of their talk about criminal justice reform, police brutality yep. reform. I think they're really strong on that. I don't know if they are. I mean, they're obviously not getting above the white noise, but I do think that their plans are really detailed and good, and I would hope that one of the other candidates who maybe is more likely to be the nominee it really considers adopting um, some of their plans and maybe even putting them on, the, on a ticket. I don't know. Um, and then I also still, I'm not, I haven't ruled out Kamala Harris. I haven't ruled her out either. I don't know why she's been so bad lately. You know, <laughs> you know, having just said that I really like criminal justice reform from Pete, from uh, uh, Castro and Booker, it's a little bit weird then to go to Harris because she has some prosecutorial background issues. But speaking as we were just about the, the importance of nuking the fellow or dealing with Mitch McConnell, you know, Harris's plans are not as expansive as a Warren or a Sanders. But Harris's plans are really tailored to what she can do through executive orders on day one without McConnell's approval, right? That's good stuff. Ellie, this this has gone on too long. I'm getting (laughs) cut. I got to cut you off. At Ellie... NYC on Twitter, AboveTheLaw.com. Watch him on MSNBC. He's on there all the time. Ellie Mistal, great to have you. Thanks a lot, Chris. All right. And that's Ellie Mistal. What a what an interview. What a guy. You got to check out all his stuff. Um, really glad I ran into him at Politicon. All right, keep it where it's at. I'll be right back. All right. Don't forget, he's uh, at Ellie NYC check him out at the nation he's on msnbc all the time they should have him on more i don't know why they don't uh and he's above the law.com check him out ellie mistal i really appreciate him joining me today i appreciate you joining me today and and, and I, like i said earlier in the show get ready for a wild week get ready i mean look we know what these witnesses are going to say. I know that people who listen to my podcast are well-read. You have read the transcripts. You have read the media reports about it. We've talked about it here. If you listen to my radio show, you know I've talked about it there. If you watch the news, you know what's going on. What I'm interested in is to see the acrobatics that the Republicans on the committee go through to try to distract us from the truth that is being told to us by people who were witnesses to this crime, witnesses to this extortion that the president did on the Ukraine. Whether they were in the room when he made the phone call or whether they were in the embassy where the actions were taking place, where Rudy Giuliani was conducting foreign policy on behalf of the president of the United States, which, by the way, he was really conducting foreign policy for Donald Trump, the politician, not for the United States of America. Let's make that very clear. So I am very interested to see how these guys, what ways they can contort themselves to change them. As we've already seen Lindsey Graham do this, right? We've seen Lindsey Graham try to change the subject, right? We've seen Lindsey Graham try to deny that anything's actually happened, that this is all a fraud and a farce. He doesn't want to face the reality of what's actually going on. And I'm wondering what it's going to take to get more Republicans. I mean, right now, I feel like none of them are facing the reality of what's going on. I'm wondering what it's going to take to get serious Republicans to take this seriously and to acknowledge what's gone on here and to come up with a remedy for it. And there is only one remedy in the Constitution for a president that has done something like this, and that is impeachment and removal. So I'm waiting to see what's happening. I mean, even like people like Will Hurd, who you would think would be for a more intense investigation, maybe even an impeachment of this president, seem to not be for that. So it is quite concerning to me that even people who we feel are rational Republicans are not treating this investigation seriously. So I'm very interested to see what happens once we start seeing people standing up, raising their right hand, swearing to tell the truth, and then testifying 
and people actually reacting to people saying this other than politicians and pundits. I'm very interested to see how that goes down and what happens to the numbers across this nation, the poll numbers on uh, whether or not this president, the, the poll numbers have been pretty stable the last two weeks. Now, they originally jumped to favor impeachment and they still do favor impeachment, but just barely. And I'm very interested to see how public testimony impacts this. And we don't even have Vinman on the on the docket yet. That's going to come later. So meanwhile, you know, Mick Mulvaney and John Bolton and John Bolton's deputy are in court trying to determine whether or not Congress's subpoena trumps executive privilege, which I think it does. And I think the courts will rule that, even the Supreme Court, if it ever comes to that. But we'll have to see. Anyway, pay attention, America. It's going to be a very consequential week. All right. I guess now it's time for me to remind you, as always, to seek the truth. Question everyone and everything, even me, America. Seek the truth. I know it's out there, and I know you'll find it if you look for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening, America. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. Remax is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit Remax.com or download the Remax app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 Brand Spark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated.